0: She taught me to be unapologetically Black in white spaces with the tools of whiteness to make Mm -hmm. me more palatable. It's just, it's so crazy how hard we have to work to make our square shape fit into these circle holes Mm -hmm. um, for,
1: for the sake of success.
0: It's just, it's so, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. And I, I don't really have any other word for it other than that it's wild.
2: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess. Before we introduce our guest today, I want to remind everyone to please, 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 um, if you enjoy our episodes, if you enjoy the podcast, Please uh, rate uh, our episode, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe and share with your loved ones. Times are hard this year. So you for a holiday gift, you can <laughs> send somebody the link to a podcast for an episode <laughs> that changed your life. I think that's valuable.
3: That's great. Why yeah, not? I appreciate that. Why <laughs> yeah. okay. not?
2: So today we're going to talk about being um, Black in America, and we have a very special guest with us today. Ish. Hi, Ish.
0: Hey, Steph. Hey, Jess. How's it going? Good, good, good.
2: Um. So I know Ish through Jess, so I'm going to let Jess introduce him. Mm-hmm. And I want to read your uh, bio because it just warmed my heart. <laughs> um, so um, uh, Ish says, I am a husband and a daddy of two beautiful children. I love helping... To make people the best version of themselves, and I take great pride in not letting my life circumstances determine who I became
3: damn heart No, Yo, you copy pasted that from somewhere
2: you
0: know it
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. no that's really <laughs> sweet. um I know ish because we went to college together um shout out to our alma mater um but we've known each other now.
0: next year makes fourteen years we've been friends.
3: Wow, I met ish. He lived on my, um, on my floor, in my, in my dorm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if, I think we first met in Park Center when I was taking a walk with Isidro and you were there and you like stopped me and we're like, Hey, you live on my floor. and We started talking um, and that's when you were acting like a tough guy there and telling me you were from Brooklyn, yeah. you were in a gang, and all this
1: stuff yeah. <laughs>
3: and I was like, "Okay, cool, um, but that was just the start of such a great friendship. Um, you know we've been through a lot, and I've just seen ish grow into this amazing human being and as he says, father um as a professional, as a friend and Yeah, I'm just so lucky to have you as a friend and I'm really, really excited that you're here and we're going to get into this topic that I think is super important for us to dive into. Um, But yeah, damn, it's been a really, really long time. I was actually in Cortland yesterday. I took a day trip out there um, and I was reminiscing. I was literally in front of Bishop Hall um, and thinking, holy crap, I can't believe that This feels like so long ago, yet it feels like yesterday. Um, so
0: it was uh (laughs) it was a wild time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We 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 ran those streets. Um I still think about you on um on that hill after we were running from Ron. Um Long story short, it's just crazy. And we went out for the first night our freshman year and he was like um, Almost going to get into a fight, and I see him turn the corner where I was waiting, and he just yells out, "Run!" And he jets up this hill, and we're just—I have no idea why we're running—and we run all the way back to our dorm. And that was the first night we actually hung out. So, I and mean, then you were friends ever since. Friends ever since. Friends it's, ever. it's so crazy, but anyway, <laughs> super excited to dive in, and then you know, you met Ish through me. Yeah. And here we are.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Before we start, I do want to say we wanted to do this episode because it's always been difficult to be a Black person, but particularly a Black man in America, because this country was founded on white supremacy and racism. That's a different episode. Um, But I think this year, there have been so many um factors that have really brought a lot of things to the surface, right like nothing's new things have been brought to the surface george floyd's murder, the fact that coronavirus has disproportionately impacted black and brown communities, et cetera, and I think it's really important for um for us to be able to try and like uh just touch upon that experience and and bring someone on here that can speak to that that could potentially impact someone um, and, and make them feel seen and heard. So thank you for, for coming out. And I, I really appreciate it. So
0: I'm honored, you know, so.
2: so, um, so before we like really dive in, I, I would love to hear about your childhood. What was it like? What was the first moment when you realized what it meant to be black in America?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh,
0: well. Um, it's weird when I think back on it because it's like, it's still really, some of it is still really painful and, Mm -hmm. um, as much healing as I've done and as much forgiving and, um, unpacking as I've done, it's still kind of hard to like, just talk about, but, um, so I grew up, I was one of four, um, you know, I was born into poverty. Um, my mom, she did the best that she could um, given her circumstance. I was the third born, her youngest son, and my sister came a few years after. Um, I grew up in 3 houses in bed Brooklyn, um, pre-gentrification, and mm-hmm. it's funny, I always say that, and I always jokingly make note of it, because, um, you know, it's just important to, um, understanding the climate and of where I was growing up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, so when I was young, I didn't really think about what it meant to be black, honestly. Um, and it was one of those things where black is all I knew. Um, Mm -hmm. black is what I grew up with, who I grew up with. All of my friends were black. We, you know, we, we, That's it's all we knew.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. White people didn't come into our hood, you know. White people weren't even getting off anywhere near our train stop, and um, my train stop was Utica Avenue on the A train, and if you know the lines in Brooklyn, from like white people were not getting off of that train beyond Hoyt and Skimmelhorn. Like anywhere beyond that was. it was like it was it was like um in Lion King, where Mufasa was telling Simba about we don't go there,
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and that,
0: that's what it was for white people mm-hmm. um so in addition to that we you know we didn't really have we had a few Latinx families in our neighborhood, um but they weren't in our neighborhood they were mm. kind of like outliers on the outskirts and like the the brownstones the section eight houses versus mm. the low-income projects um and it was it was just like it was a, such a weird um situation because like we were all black and brown but you know the fact that we lived in the projects we were still less than them mm-hmm. and they made it known that we were just negritos we were just you know Mm. the niggas the niggas the niggas and that's just you know you know and it and again it it was just what we knew so we just thought that that's what it was um you know a lot of the um experiences that i had i just thought were normal i guess you know from run-ins with the cops um you know i just I just thought that it was just common. Yeah. You know, I remember I, I was talking to one of my friends recently and I was, you know, talking about the first time, the, the first time that I got beat up by a cop and it was just like, you know, um, the next day I show up to school and um, they're all just like, yo, I heard blah, blah, blah. I heard the pigs got you. You know, uh, I'm surprised it took so long kind of thing, you know what I mean? And And, and those were jokes that we had because it was just like, again, it's what we just thought was normal. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was just, it was, it was rough. And, um, you know, I bounced in and out of the foster care system. Um, you know, I want to say half of the first 18 years of my life, pretty much I was in and out of foster care. So, um, my mom she struggled, she, you know, struggled with addiction, she struggled with mental health. Um, And, you know, things even ranging from how I viewed discipline, at the time, I just thought that, you know, abuse was normal.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And there were days where, you know, we would get some beatings that I was just like, damn, you know, I don't even know what I did that drove her to do that. But I'm all I right, you know, and I just thought that, again, that was normal, and I think that, you know, being poor, um, you know, and being unexposed to things that are different, you know, you kind of just normalize things that just should not be normal, and you kind of start to internalize those things, and for um, me being a young Black kid, it's just when I finally met and it's crazy, I finally met a white person, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was my sophomore, possibly my junior year in high school, and that was, like, the first, like, white person that I met that I actually began to know, and she was my art teacher at the time, Um, and she took a liking to me, and, you know, she kind of um kind of started showing me things outside of the hood um and it was weird to me um that like people actually lived that way because it was just like i i thought that this was just shit on tv um williamsburg was foreign to me and she lived in williamsburg um i was like yo black people don't come out here <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> I was like we don't come out here and she was like, you know, no, it's fine, blah blah blah. I was like, no, we don't get off on this stop on the L train, you know. It was just, yeah. it was just so weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm just fortunate that I met the people that I met that took <laughs> an interest in me that you know ultimately saved my life, ranging from people in the, the the poetry circuit. I was I'm a spoken word artist, or I was, I should say, I haven't performed in many many moons, but like you know you kind of as as you get older and start to kind of um meet people you start to kind of like find little niches and you know i i did the gang thing um i was a blood for a long time and you know i lived a life that i wasn't proud of or i'm not proud of but again it kind of helped shape who i am and it was what you did, you know, but I was always different and my the gang members that I rolled with, they always knew that I was different. It was they they were like, you know, um, oh this nigga plays sports, oh this nigga's a poet or this you know, things like that and it was just like I was always different, but I did what I did anyway. Um so it's just like when that's when you're growing up in mm-hmm. that environment, like it's just what you do. Um So again, like it was just normal Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, um, you know, between Tracy, who was my art teacher, um, coach white, um, coach O'Connor, you know, Chris Slaughter, people who, you know, ultimately saved me and showed me different things. Um, and Ms. Hines, my guidance counselor, who told me, You're going to Cortland. And I'm like, No, nah, no, I'm not. I'm going to Lincoln. And she's like, No, you're going to Cortland because I said you're going to Cortland. <laughs> um, you know, it was the best decision that, I've, that I ever made in my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, people saved me um, from myself. Um, my best friend, Eddie, you know, we've been through a lot and I did things differently than he did um he was fortunate to not be in the projects um so he wasn't he wasn't exposed to it as much as I was um so he didn't do the gang thing but like he in spite of the life that I was living he still rolled with me and he kept me honest and he kept me going to school and he helped keep me you know on the up and up and through all that I I say that to say you know I'm I'm just really lucky as to how I turned out because of the people that happened to cross my path. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I think you touch on
2: so many things um, in in what you're talking about. Um, I think the 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 biggest thing that I take away from that is many people tend to have this idea of like. Black people or brown people who, uh, you know, air quotes, made it out of the hood are like exceptional, mm-hmm. and it creates this idea that fits within this white supremacist framework of like, not all of you are special. There's only a few of you that are really going to make it out, and you're there's only room for a few of you. And when I hear what you're saying, if it, it it resonates. With me because of the fact that all it takes for a Black or a Brown child who is poor, who doesn't have, or low income, um, and who doesn't have the parents that are either uh, can help them navigate this system or who have the knowledge, all it takes is someone believing in them and trying to teach them the way so that they can advocate for themselves and so that they can um, play the game that, that white people play all the time. So I think that is so important in terms of, um, what, what you touched upon in the, the people who, who kind of like nudged you in different directions and who, um, gave you the, the, the resources, you know, whether it be telling you like, you're going to go to this school, uh, that, that helped you be where you are now. So, in my my in my case, for example, like um, my parents had never navigated the the FAFSA system for financial aid, the college application process, the college essay process, any of those things. And um, I had an older sister who um, had done it. her situation was um, different uh, because she was not, I don't think she was a citizen at that time. So I think her process was way different than mine. Um, but I had to navigate that on my own. And it wasn't until I took a class with a teacher who was like, Hey, listen, you're all here applying to these schools that you all talk to each other about the Syracuse of the world, um, the NYUs of the world. And that's not like go to college if if that's what you want to do and go to whatever school you're really passionate about. Um so that's not to take away from the Syracuse or the NYUs, but she was like, "Hey, these smaller private schools are the ones that are going to give you the most financial aid because they have the biggest budgets." And she was like, "You should apply to this school. You have the grades for it. You should do it." I hadn't even heard of that school. That school so happened to be Dartmouth. I so happened to apply. I so happened to get in, right? And I also got into Syracuse and I was like, but I want to go to Syracuse. Like that's a school that I want to go to. And the principal of the school would call me into her office every day. And she would be like, have you decided to go to Dartmouth yet? (laughs) And she was like, you can just go try Dartmouth. If you don't like it, I promise you. It was actually uh, the, her and uh, another, like, uh, she wasn't a teacher. She was a student government lead. She was like, I'll make your promise. Go to Dartmouth. And if you hate it, I'll come pick you up.
1: It's like oh.
2: that. and I mean it's unfortunate that this is the way that things work but that has taken me to so many places having gone to that school and I would never have gone there would never have done it without those people right because when I told my parents my parents were like what is that like what is Dartmouth where is that why don't you go to school right here where your sister went to school why don't you go to Baruch it's it's great you can just take the train you come back home you eat your food that I make you like it's great. And they didn't realize the magnitude of the school that I had gotten into until my mom showed one of her coworkers and was like, oh my God, you're targeting dark- into Dartmouth? Which gets into elitism and all that other stuff, but that's a different episode. But <laughs> still, I think it really touches upon like those resources are so important. And those resources are often denied to kids going Uh, who live in these low income neighborhoods where the teachers don't have the adequate training. The teachers are overworked. They don't have the right amount of resources.
1: They can't help every student. And I think that's why it's so important for us to look out for each other.
0: It is. And it's funny. I, I will never forget this quote. My, um, the director of EOP um, my first year in college, um, it was actually EOP summer, um, Keith, uh, coming up blank on his last name. I want to say Davis. Um, but he said to me, he goes, um, you know, you know, Ishmael, um, black folk, they call what we're doing here, brown nosing, mm-hmm. white folk, they call it networking and, when he said that to me, I didn't really understand what he was talking about because again, I was just call a spade a spade. I was just a nigga from Brooklyn. And -hmm. it was just like, when he said black folk, we call this Brown nosing white folk call this networking. Um, I I looked at him like he was crazy. And he was like, you think I'm crazy. Don't you? He was (laughs) like, now, you know, I always tell, you know, young Black kids who don't know nothing, and I say that in the kindest regard, you need to have three people in your back pocket at all times. You want to have a teacher who really likes you, who you stood out to. You want to have a supervisor, and you want to have an administrator, particularly in the school realm, who took a liking to you, who understands your plight, preferably white. And he, and I was just like, what? He says, trust me. And that was something that like, that just stuck with me. And I'm, and, and, and going back to what you were saying, you know, those are things that we're not taught, Mm -hmm. you know, we're taught to look at the person who's making those connections and who's putting themselves out there and talking and being the teacher's pet as, you know, like, what are you doing? and we're looked at, we're look we're taught to like shame those people but okay. then it's like it, it it kind of feeds into the, the 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 white supremacy system of creating the crabs in the barrel mm-hmm. you know because it's like when one starts to get out we start to drag them down because like what the fuck are you doing mm-hmm. and it's just and i'll never forget that conversation and literally what i just told you was verbatim the conversation that we had and you know it's just that's later topic <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that's fair but i
2: think that 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 is really important though because i think there's a big why people play games Right, like this whole system is a game that that like they play. They they network in a certain way. They they run things in a certain way, and ultimately, the goal would be that this game doesn't exist. Right, that like we are authentic. We don't need to play these games, but these games exist, and people have to play into them. But that sort of stuff isn't really um, taught to us, and the sorts of things that that like the way that like white people play the game is very much like frowned upon in our culture. So for me, it was like, if you don't have anything to say, then don't say anything at all. Like don't waste people's time. Don't go up in somewhere looking dumb or sounding dumb. Like make sure you have yourself prepped. But then I would, I would talk to some of these like white kids in college and they were like, Oh, I go to office hours all the time. Like I just come up with something just so that the professor knows that I'm there just so that they know. And there was a professor that actually said like, you know, we're all very subjective. And, you know, when I look at these essays um, that you all are writing out for your paper, even if something is like not not right, I'm like, but this person comes to office hours all the time. So they get it, they get it. So so the, the professor was like, so I'm a little bit more lenient in the points that I give out. And I was like, this is the game. This is the game. These people show up to the office hours every week for 15 minutes,
1: they talk shit with the professor and then they go about their day.
0: Mm -hmm. It's crazy.
1: It is. It's
0: it's like those the the little the nuance mm -hmm. of the game that we're not taught. We know that the game exists, yeah, but we're just never taught how to play. It's like you know, it's like when I look at a black person that doesn't know how to play spades, I'm like, what are you doing? How do you (laughs) you know how to play spades? (laughs) Or like when I look at a Dominican that doesn't know how to play dominoes, like, what are we doing here?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: I like to say that white people created the game that we were never taught and that's why they're so far ahead and we're just trying to catch up but they're constantly changing the role so we'll never catch up but that's another conversation yeah
2: so we talked about your, your childhood and you started talking about when you were talking about your conversation with um the person at EOP um so we're now in college so I would love for you to touch upon what your experience was like attending a predominantly white college in a predominantly white neighborhood um, after growing up in New York City where you mentioned that, you know, all you knew was Black and a couple of, like, Latinx people um, sprinkled in. Yeah.
0: Um, So, Cortland. (laughs) That is literally
3: what everybody would do right now. (laughs) I feel you, dog. Uh,
0: So, um it was really funny when I, I remember getting on the bus, um, the Greyhound bus with my duffel bag that I lived out of, because literally at that point I was a nomad and I lived my life out of a duffel bag. One duffel bag literally carried all of my worldly possessions. And my wife, she still laughs at me because I'm a hoarder of things that I hold dear to me. Like I have a a ridiculous t-shirt collection because of it because I never had anything
1: mm-hmm. so like
0: the stuff that I do have I don't want to let it go and she's just like it's okay it's tattered throw it away mm-hmm. um, but I think I lived out of a duffel bag for so long that I was just like no
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but off the uh, tangent but I was on the bus um, going to bumblefuck New York not knowing what I was doing kind of got out of the city and got past Westchester, which I knew existed, but thinking that like Westchester was not New York and thinking that it was like upstate
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and not realizing just how big New York was. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was on that bus for what was it like four and a half hours. And I'm just like, God, I'm still in New York. What is mm-hmm. happening here? Um, so just seeing farm country and, you know, trees and it it was just all a shock to me so I get off at the sketchy-ass bus station um on central like right over there on um on central I believe it was by um central city um Mm -hmm. so I get off there not central city whatever it was um so it's sketchy Cortland and I standing there and i'm looking for a cab and i'm just like this where's the cab <laughs> I'm looking for a yellow taxi
1: <laughs> you're gonna be waiting
0: for a while kid so i'm just like i'm just like where's the cab and um and then i see another black kid he comes up to me he's like yo what's good and it was this kid lawrence um do you remember lawrence jess um African kid he strong heavy accent um Mm -hmm. hung out with Nautica and all of them
3: I think I know what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah.
0: so he he's like yo so what's up and blah 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 and he's like yeah I'm here for EOP and you know blah 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 and he's like yeah there's a van right over there and I was like nigga we don't just get into (laughs) vans that white people are driving like what he was like no the school sent it to pick us up I was like no, we don't just get into (laughs) vans. We don't just get into vans that white people are driving. So some guy comes out. I can't remember who he was. I think he might've been um, a junior or senior or something like that. And he starts grabbing our stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? And why are you touching my stuff? And he's like, I'm just trying to help. And it was weird to me that, you know, that this person was trying to help me because where I'm from,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: people trying to help you are trying to pick your pocket, yeah, you know, they're plotting on you, mm. and I had truck issues, mm-hmm. so he's like, It's fine. He showed me his ID, I was like, All right, um, so whatever. That was my like first real experience, um, and then, um, we get to Bishop, uh, Fitz, it was Fitz Hall that where where we stayed fresh uh, that summer, um, you know, and we became fast friends. We were a small group, there were, I think, 23 of us, um, and it was a bunch of Black and uh, Latinx kids, and we had a few white kids sprinkled in and It was in that moment that I was like, "Wait a minute, why are there white people in EOP? I thought this was the black and the black and brown person program mm-hmm. and it was then that I realized that, oh, so there are poor white people and you know and it was just kind of like that was a shock for mm-hmm. me um, fast forward a little bit um during that summer um we get comfortable in the town as comfortable as you could get in Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: when there are no when there are no students there um and we like walk down to mando book because i remember it was the there was a harry potter book release and um we went down to mando books to buy the book and we're walking back and there was a pickup truck that had a confederate flag on the back of it and they were driving past and they saw a group of, I want to say there were five of us walking up the hill and walking up um excuse me, walking up Clayton, and they slowed down and you know they started like crawling pretty much to just kind of like keep pace with us. And I remember being scared because I was just like, We're the only five people that are darker than see-through here right now <laughs> and there is no way that the cops are going to respond the way we need them to yeah so i i started looking at them and i was with ruby at the time and i'm like yo ruby you make sure that you get out of here and if something happens you don't look back you keep going and get help mm-hmm. and that was my mindset because that's what i always told my little Mm -hmm. sister when we were out and about in the hood Mm -hmm. i'm like regardless of what's happening to me you go and get help don't ever look back and it's just like my my hood senses just kept
1: yeah you were getting ready
0: so you know it was weird that like that that happened and then you know um it was through experiences like that. I I think there were like a handful of experiences like that my freshman year where it made me very aware that I'm black and I don't belong here. Mm. And it was just like, so there was that. And then there was this other other instance in Bishop Hall. And I think you remember when um, the football player kid, he came in drunk and started like, you know, accosting mm-hmm. the girls in the, in the lounge. And, you know, and I told him like, back the fuck off, leave him alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and he starts like yelling all sorts of obscenities at me, talking about nigger this and nigger that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you keep fucking playing with me. You don't know who you're fucking with. Me and my friends will, will come up here and have your body floating down the river somewhere. Just all sorts of crazy shit that I know. I knew that white people have said, but I didn't think that they actually said it. You know what I mean? You you see those things on TV and you're like, there's no way that shit is really happening. Mm -hmm. So it was like things like that, that kind of, you know, had me on edge, but you know, you, I started to make friends like Jess and, you know, um, Ruby and, you know, and because of Jess, like I kind of became friends with, Mallory, our RA. And, you know, and I started to get comfortable around other white folk and realized that not all of them were bad. And I think Kevin Zito was the first one who kind of like he was, I think he was an RA at the time, or maybe not, but he kind he stood up for me. And when cops came and he was just like, no, he did nothing wrong. It was this guy. And he like stood up for me and went to judicial for me and everything. And I was just like, wow, you know, so they're not all crazy. And, Mm -hmm. um, and over the course of like weird interactions like that, I, I kind of started to develop some trust and relationships with friend uh, with white people. Um, and like, but I never felt comfortable in that town. Mm-hmm. and um and it was just like it was such a shock to me just because it was just like you know I had this image of white folk as kind of like the unicorn of people like mm-hmm. you know because I, I don't know them and like their life was just so different that I'd never imagined that I'd be rubbing elbows with them you know what I mean so it was just yeah. like it was a real um adjustment for me um, and then I remember, uh, my junior year actually, um, happened to be the best year I'd had academically there. Um, I remember, um, one of my professors, um, and for the sake of not being sued, I won't say his name, <laughs> but, um, I, uh, we were in class and I was raising my hand to answer a question like, and it was a common occurrence and, you know, he would completely ignore me and you know there was a you know but then a white kid would raise their hand and they would give you know a response that was you know subpar or less than um not even on topic and he'd give them praise and kudos and blah 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 you know shit like that and i remember going up to him and telling him like dude i pay your salary and you know, if I'm asking you questions or I'm responding to questions, I don't care what I look like. It's your job to answer them or it's your job to treat me like you would treat everybody else. Um, you know, so it was just, it was all of these microaggressions yeah. that kind of kept me or were meant to keep me in my place. yeah. Um, you know, and then reminders of, you know, my education was shit before that, um, kind of backtracking. I, I'm a little bit all over the place because it's just all, like, coming don't, back.
2: Don't coming even back. worry about it.
0: I remember I had a professor during EOP summer. Um, when I graduated high school, I knew that I could write. I graduated with high 90s across the board in English and ELA. I was in honors English, and honors English.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I just knew that I could write. Um, And I wrote a paper, and like he like scratched all over it. He drew all over it in red. He circled a huge paragraph and drew like an arrow to the bottom of the page. And to turn over, and then when I turned over, there was so much red I've never seen so much red on anything that I've written in my life. And he, you know, at the bottom of all of that, in huge red font, writes, you know, I am so appalled and offended that you would think that this is college level writing oh my gosh and and I just remember like I I thought I was so defeated that just like this is the one thing that I can do (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and like you know and it was just like realizing that I was so far behind my white peers and even my my Latinx peers that like you know went to um like Murray Bertram and, mm-hmm. you know, the schools, um, schools up in the Bronx and yeah. um uh, like Lehman College and all of that fun stuff. Like just realizing how far behind that I was beyond behind them. And I was just like, Wow, you know, Cortland Yeah, Cortland was a time and it was like really eye opening for me. Um wow. Uh but yeah, by you know, by the end of it, I had great friends. Um I learned my worth. I really, truly learned my worth through my relationships and bonds that I formed there. Um And honestly, Jess, like, I don't know. I don't think you really know just how much of a role in that you played. And like, you know, I was always the flake. I was always the flighty one. I was always the one that you know, shit got real and I'm out, you know? like mm-hmm. I was always that kid, but like, Jess would, she would text me or she would call me and she's like, dude, where the fuck are you? <laughs> you know? Or um, through the crazy ex-girlfriends, she's just like,
1: Oh, you know, I don't, yeah. <laughs> like,
0: I, don't <laughs> I don't want you. Like, I don't yeah. want you. Like she should know that I don't want you. And I just want to hang out with my friend. Yeah. you know and just like the fact that she like stuck that out with me you know it was just like those relationships really helped form my um my self-worth if that makes sense
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and like really dude between you and dave and you know dusty even you, know, like, <laughs> you guys like really um, oh man that's
3: the whitest kid in Cortland.
0: Like, <laughs> He now lives in Buffalo, not far from where I live oh, actually nice. um but like you like I value our friendship so much, um, and I just love how years could go by and we might talk once or twice over those years, but then we pick up like we've never left off and like and that's one of those things that I'm so grateful for Cortland for, you know, I met my wife um there mm-hmm. and she gave me two beautiful kids and um so in spite of all the trauma and baggage that I bear from Cortland that I didn't realize that I was bearing from Cortland I guess. It's weird. Um so much good came out of it and it helped make me who I am. And for that, regardless of the shit that came with that, I'm so grateful for it.
3: Yeah, dude. Same here. I mean, I feel the same way. I tell stuff all the time how I really love our friendship. And just as crazy as Cortland was, I'm so thankful for the people that I met and I still can keep in touch with. And um, it's important to say this as like you described your experience, like from the outside looking in, obviously at the time I didn't have the the tools or the language to to talk about racism and like the microaggressions and like you had a whole different level of shit. I experienced my own from like a Latinx white passing way. Um, But Ish was kind of like the mayor of Cortland. Like everybody knew Ish and like everyone loved Ish because he was the guy that wanted to have a good time. He was a protector. Um, There was a number of times, like you mentioned that time. I remember that day I was studying for a psychology test and I hear you... Arguing with this guy and about to get into a fight. He was always protecting like his people. Mm -hmm. Um, Even that, even that, um, the example I gave when, you know, we first went out, like that was you protecting us. You were like, yo, run. Like, we got to get out of here. Like this shit was about to go down and looking, looking from the outside in, if I didn't know any better, it would, have seemed like you were cruising you were cruising through like that experience, but I know you weren't because we were friends, but you just did such a good job of hiding your pain in a way. And also just navigating and like trying to lean into the good in this environment and know that like, shit, I know that I need this education, but also like I stand out in this sea of white people. Um,
2: Yo, let's get into that though. Let's get into that
3: you went to which part
2: let let's get into the i don't know if it's an irony, but people of color going into these white institutions to get a piece of paper to be more accepted by other white institutions and having to bear more trauma because you're a person of color at a white institution. Let's talk about all that trauma for a fucking degree
3: i know i right. mean I mean it's a lot it's i mean. T- ish probably could write books on this
0: um yeah it's it's wild and and it was like and it's weird because like you know you're not the first person who said who said that to me and i'm just like dude that shit was fucking hard like I, i remember um you know i remember someone saying to me you know we black folk um we gotta work twice as hard to be taken half as seriously as our white counterparts and, like, those kind of things, like, they really stand out to me because I'm just like, wow, like, to have met young people and older people who look like me, who had those little nuggets of wisdom that at the time that I, I, I neglected or didn't really realize just what they were actually setting me up for. Um, like, I remember, you know, I I remember the moment when I learned code switching mm. and, you know the ability to shape myself to fit into white spaces. And I remember the look of shock on um, even my wife. Um, I remember the look of shock on her face the first time she realized that, oh, he's, he. oh, okay. So he is all of these things because Mm -hmm. it's like she heard me speak to my best friend from back home for the first time on the phone and like just the way that we greet each other is so black. <laughs> it, was just, it was just, and she just looked at me and she's like, what did you just say? And it it's just like, mm-hmm. I I remember those moments when, you know, I, I learned survival tips. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that they were survival tips that people were kind of just. Laying out for me, and it was just like kind of a a trail of cake crumbs, like yeah. come on, yo, yo, you know, and it's just they just yeah. help they help prepare you to bear that trauma because they know that you know it's only going to get harder. Mm-hmm. I remember Noel Paley; she fucking she made me um present at the first annual diversity conference on inclusion um and activism at Cortland and I'm just like I don't I don't do this and she's like you're going to and she took me as an intern and she was a black woman and you know she was a black woman with a white husband who also kind of groomed me in a way to 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 present myself and she would also drive home that you have to be twice as good as them to be taken half as seriously yeah. she's like no door will just open for you you got to kick that shit the fuck open and i'm going to help mold you into that yeah and like and i still keep in touch with Noelle daily mm-hmm. um not daily but like fairly regularly and we just have these talks where you know, it's just, we've never left off, and she's never stopped teaching me. And just, you know, her being black in these white spaces and just owning that shit, it's just, it's so incredible to see a, a strong black woman and being unapologetically black. And she taught me to be unapologetically black in white spaces with the tools of whiteness to make mm-hmm. me more palatable. It's just, it's so crazy how hard we have to work to make our square shape fit into these circle holes mm-hmm. um, for
1: for the sake of success.
0: It's just it's so yeah. It's 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 wild, and I I don't really have any other word for it other than that it's wild. Totally. Um,
3: yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I have a question for you. I don't know if I definitely felt this um, while we're on the topic of like college. Um, as you mentioned, we went to a predominantly white. It was a white school. We're just gonna call it what it what it is. College I think is,
1: right?
3: I think in total, when we were freshmen, it was like four percent other,
0: <laughs> and right. in
3: there was like black Latinx and anybody else. But anybody else. Um, a lot of you know, I was I was very fortunate enough to it was, it was, it was easy to find the other people that look like you or the people that, you know, Steph and I went to Bertram and we, our, our friends and our school was predominantly black and Latinx. And so when I found those people at Cortland, you know, I made sure to introduce myself and we were friends, but a lot of my peers were white. Um, my roommate was white, you know, a lot of my friends were white and I often felt because they definitely made me feel this and now that I think about it, there was a lot of racist comments and microaggressions that they used. I was kind of their token Latinx friend. Ish, did you feel that from those, from the white people in your life at Cortland? I did. The way that I just, like, they would they would basically tell me they've never met a Latinx person before.
0: Yeah, and it was weird. I, I did feel that, um... But as you know, I I didn't really give a fuck enough to like, you know, pay it too much mind. I was just there doing what I I needed to do and having a good time and just you know, and and like I never really and again like I guess it just it was just so normalized that like I stopped being shocked by
1: it. Yeah.
0: Um. Like I remember, you know. the first time um one of my white friends um said um this is my nigga ish and i looked at him like he was fucking crazy i'm your i'm your i'm your what mm-hmm. and it was just like and he was just like no you're you're, you're my boy and I, and i thought that we were cool i was like we were like, <laughs> i i don't know but that doesn't mean you get to use my shit like <laughs> what um so it was just like it was it I was often the only black person in a lot of those spaces. Yep. Um, so I completely get that, you yeah. know? Um, wow. Jesus.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. No, I mean, I just asked that because I know, like I said, I feel like Ish was the mayor of our school. Um, and I don't know. I felt like people just like, put out that energy like yeah like this is Ish my black friend and like Mm -hmm. like it was such an uh, unapologetic way of saying like they didn't even say it but I I felt it and like obviously Ish is a a good kind guy but I just I just knew for them it was like this is probably the only black person they know Mm -hmm. um and they showed it through saying ignorant shit like that person you just said or asking weird i mean i talk about this on the episode like um this girl i was friends with called me a spick and i remember um you know who that is um chasing her down the hallway with um, a swiffer and i choked the bitch with the thing on her neck and i told her you will never call me that again um and she was like oh i was just playing i thought it was like i thought we were cool and i'm like no no, no 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 that is not okay and so that's the type of shit that when you think back on it you're like wow like this stuff was very normal for people to just say and think it was okay because you guys were we were friends,
0: friends. like it was it was weird
3: <laughs> stuff's like damn
0: <laughs> and you went to dartmouth i mean
2: i mean y'all had like maybe trump racism we had like biden racism you know like just regular racism you were like you know run-of-the-mill racism yeah regular racism you know you were just like gaslighting yourself like oh but maybe that's just me overreacting but but maybe that's just
3: yeah we definitely had that trump yeah type of racism um but yeah um so, Ish, you know,
2: you you talked about growing up. You talked about um, college. How have all those experiences in your journey impacted your professional life?
0: Um, it has made me want to help people who look like me more than anything else. Um, I've always found myself trying to um, work um in education with young black and brown kids um just giving them opportunities and showing them different things um my first job out of college was working in a young adult borough center which was a a, a yabc which is an alternative education program for kids ranging from 17 to 22 years old who were trying to finish their high school diplomas Mm -hmm. um and like we, um, I, I, I pushed college, I pushed trade school. Um, I taught them, you know, I did things like job fairs and college and career readiness. I, you know, I taught them the importance of being able to tie a tie and, you know, giving them real life skills that, you know, people didn't give me. And, um, you know because of because of my own experience and knowing what i didn't know and what i wasn't taught as i learned it i felt that i had an obligation to give it back to people who are also less fortunate or less privileged um so that they're not behind the eight ball when it but it, you know they're not realizing that they're behind the eight ball when it's too late mm-hmm. um and i remember um, feeling how I felt and saying that I never want another little black and brown kid to feel the way that I felt.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, having to be told by white people that I'm less than, or that I'm less smart or that, you know, um, how did you get here? Or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you show up to a job interview, having an HR person look at you and be like, oh, you're not what I pictured. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just I I want to help shape and mold young black and brown boys and girls, mm-hmm. um, you know, into, you know, people who, regardless of their circumstance, come out of it and, you know, they're better for it and they're appreciative of their struggle. Um, I... I I wear my struggle and my trauma and my, you know, situation um, as like a badge of honor. And um, I'm always willing to talk about where I come from for, you know, for the greater good. Um, like, I remember when I started at my current job, um, my principal telling me, you know, um, while you can relate to our kids um it's important that you don't make yourself too relatable and to which i pushed back that's actually the opposite of what i believe because mm-hmm. these kids they 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 live in trauma their lives are trauma and they need somebody who looks like them who they can trust who can show them that there's something different that you can that you can go out there and be black and be excellent. Um, That regardless of your, your story, because everyone has a story. And I truly believe that with no test, there's no testimony. And, you know, it's just, they need that. And, you know, when they're in school and all they see are white faces and white teachers and white administrators and people who don't look like them, who can't possibly fucking understand that they're in school because, you know, that they're coming to school because they're guaranteed two, two hot meals a fucking day that like Mm. that, that's, that's, that's shit that I can relate to and that shit that I understand. And, you know, it's you know for me to be able to effectively do my job they need to have that sense of trust in somebody and it's like so for for me being relatable is important and you know it has definitely impacted my professional life because you know i've missed out on opportunities because i because like just said i i'm i'm a protector I'm going to advocate like they, these kids, some of these kids, they might be assholes, but they're my assholes. And mm-hmm. I'm the only person that can fucking say that to them, you know, without them knowing that I'm not doing it in a way that's trying to keep them in a place or tell them, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, this, this is just who you are. No, you're being a dick now fucking fix it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and I, and it's funny, I, you know, I've, I've spoken to some of these high schoolers and, you know, I work in the middle school, but like the high schoolers, they, they come up to me and they're like, Miss Sproul, Miss Sproul, Miss Sproul. And I'm like, boy, if you'll back up off me, like, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like those kind of relationships. And, um, and it's really funny to see my white peers see me interact with these kids and the look of shock on their face, because again, I put my white foot forward, but then when I'm talking to these kids, it, I, I'm able to code switch. Mm-hmm. And it just shocks the shit out of them, and I laugh every single time I see one of their faces when they see me interacting with these kids and getting a favorable outcome for these kids when they just met when they were just met with all sorts of resistance.
1: Right. And
0: you know, and my thing is, you can be white and get that relationship, but you're going to have to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not you're not going to be able to bank on your shared experience because you ain't got it. And, you know, and I tell, and I tell my white peers all the time, like, you know, don't be out here telling these kids that you understand because you don't, Mm -hmm. we don't need to hear that. Yep. We don't need to hear that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I understand because you don't like, you're lying to me. You don't understand. You don't know what it is to be, you know, who I am to be looked at because I'm, you know, darker than you, than you. Mm -hmm. And, you don't know what that's like. You don't know what it's like to live, you know, in a house that's, you know, one shingle away from being fucking condemned. You don't know what that's like. So do not sit here and lie to me and tell me you understand. Sometimes the most imp- the, one of the most powerful things that you can say, the, one of, some of the most important, powerful things that you can do is to shut the fuck up and just say sometimes I hear you. Mm-hmm. That's all we really need sometimes, and like, and it's those things and the fact that I'm so crass and so just honest and again unapologetically black in a white ass space, you know that it kind of makes th- some things difficult. But um, quite honestly, I'm used to working. I'm used to doing the work. I'm used to being out here again working twice as hard to be taken half as seriously. And it's just, I I know how to grind. I know how to hustle, and I. It, I, my ultimate goal is to be someone who, you know, my kids can be proud of. And my goal is to be someone that, you know, several years down the line, a student comes back to me and like, yo, Miss Sproul, remember that time you said you were gonna bust me upside my head if I don't go to class? Like, I'm so glad that you said that, or I'm so glad that you did that. You know, um, you know, I want to be that person that my volleyball coach was for me, that Tracy Malcolmson was for me, that, you know, Coach Barry O'Connor was for me. You know, um that fricking, um like I wanna be that person. And it and it's my experience that helped shape that for me professionally.
3: Awesome. Totally. I mean I think that's the one of the most perfect examples of how representation is so important, right? Like typically we say Representation is important because we want to see ourselves in 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 that light, right? Like if we want to be a CEO, we need to see CEOs that look like us. But in in the education space, like what you're doing is transforming these lives. Whether you see it now or later, you are going to get those kids, whether they come back or not. That are going to maybe be on a podcast in ten plus years or make it on you know in an, an interview or you know telling their partner like ish saved my life you know and so I think it's so important the work you do I think it's so important that you're aware of the work you do because your awareness makes you intentional about every interaction you have with each of the students Mm -hmm. and I think that that is extremely important especially in this climate right now where we are so divided as a country in a very obvious and dangerous way for people, for, for little black and brown boys, specifically black and brown boys to see you in a position where you're navigating it yourself and they can say, okay, that guy has my back, but also that guy's in the same space as all these white people. So yes. maybe I can do that maybe, you know, maybe I can strive to be that maybe not in education, but he's saying I got this and maybe I do got this. So I love that you touch on that. Um, and I imagine that this is going to translate into our next question around how has this impact, impact your, the way that you parent your children, how has your experience and you know being a black man impacted your your parenting style
0: um so as you know i grew up without a dad um and i knew the, when people asked me what it was i wanted to do when i grew up i would all i would often say i want to be a dad like i because i that was the one thing in in spite of everything that i knew with 1000% certainty, I wanted to be a dad. And, you know, my father or lack thereof showed me a lot of what I didn't want to be. My mother showed me a lot of what I didn't want to be. Um, and, you know, and I'm far from perfect. Obviously I have my shortcomings, you know, I have my moments where like I can be, um, a little bit more mean or, um, impatient with um my my little guy than i would have liked to be um but I, I recognize that i'm i'm human and i have trauma and i have my experiences that kind of just you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm flawed mm-hmm. you know but what that what i what i'm also aware of is the fact that i know that i need to make that right so like if i have one of those moments where like you know my armor cracks and i'm not the dad that i wanted to be i'm able to recognize that and be like shit i fucked up you know yo issue come here you know and i'll pull him close and i'm like daddy's sorry you know and i'll give him a kiss Mm -hmm. i'll give him a hug you know and i'm I, i i teach him that it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to cry like it's okay you know to be sad you know daddy's sad that that made daddy sad you know you know, is she that choice you made made daddy really sad? What what can you do to make daddy feel better? Or what can daddy do to make you feel better? You mm-hmm. know, and it's just like, I, my experience being told that, you know, you're a bitch if you cry, you soft if you, you, you cry, you can't be vulnerable, you, you know, I, I know that that's not healthy. And I don't want that for my kids. And you know, being Black, you know, is oftentimes seen as you can't be those things because you're a bitch, you know, if you're vulnerable. And, um, and that's just not true. I, you know, I know that I'm strong. I know that, you know, I present myself in a way, but if needed, I will fuck you up as well, you know? And I know that. And, you know, whether the world knows that or not, Let's hope you don't need to find out kind of thing. But I'm not going to put my my trauma, I'm not going to make that my kid's trauma. You know, I'm not going to make my burden my kid's burden. And, you know, I I talk about my kids all the time because, like, you know, it's really funny. Like, I, he, I, you probably know this as well, Jess, that I'm scared of a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of a lot. Some of it irrational, like the woods scare the shit out of me. I don't <laughs> I don't like the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, but like he makes me brave. You know, my kids make me brave. My kids make me do things that I otherwise would never have done on my own. And my wife is just like, This is why you're doing that. Like, this is all it takes. You know, and it's just like she kinda laughs at me, but it's like, you know, um my experience has taught me that like if I want to help set my kids up to be better than me, I need to do I need to to do things differently. I need to be vulnerable. I need to be brave. You know, and it's funny, my he it he's gotten to a point where like he knows when people are scared now. Mm. And um and he comes up to you and he says, Are you scared? Oh. <laughs> If she hold your hand and make you brave,
1: oh my you know, gosh.
0: and like, he'll hold your hand and say, "Is she make you brave, it's okay. And, you know, and he says things like be brave, scared, do it anyway, you know? And it's just, that's my experience instilling those values into him. My wife is such an incredible partner because like she keeps me accountable and she has, you know, where I fall short or where I lack the experience, she, you know, helps to, to, to close that gap. Um Like, and just like, you know, we, we, we kind of butt heads over like how we want to really like expose him to the world or expose him to the ugly. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, for me as a black man, I think that it's important that he knows like the world will hate you just because of who you are just because of how you look but it's important that even you even though you know that that you don't let that make you cower you know Mm -hmm. use that to make you to help you rise and you know and use that fear because some fear is good use that fear to drive you to make smart and safe decisions. You know, it's important that you go out there and you know these things because, you know, to go out there and be blindsided by, you know, reality is not something that we as black men can afford.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and she, you know, and she again, she's black. Um she's biracial, she's black. She grew up kind of what she grew up white. Um she grew up in a white household, but she's just like I don't want my son to grow up in a world grow up, you know, being afraid of the world and you know and i'm like we agree on that but it's like our approach to how we want to like expose him to that ugly is different and you know he's getting to a point where like he's going to be playing outside on his own and he's going to be making friends and you know it's going to be important that he knows that what your white friends do you can't do because you won't have the same outcome when shit hits the fan and like you know, and we're still trying to navigate how to have those conversations. Um, so it's like it's 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 really hard, um, and and it makes me really sad that I have to have those conversations with him, because I I feel as though you know, and I know this to be true that you know our white counterparts aren't having conversations with their kids about. Mm you know if you get stopped by a cop you need to make yourself small you need to humble yourself you know you need to um you know just bow your crown at it's like the conversations we have to have raising black kids and particularly black boys in this country just it's 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 really heartbreaking but again my personal experience has taught me those things um and i vowed that my kids will never go through the shit that i had to go through um my kids will never be blindsided the way that i was blindsided by life and yeah life is gonna be hard um they're gonna have to work they're gonna have to you know they're gonna know that struggle but it's gonna be different um and i and i and i take pride in being a father and there's nothing in this world that's going to keep me from being that um, and again, having those courageous conversations has to has to happen um, but it's it's an, it's an everyday struggle and i it's work um but I know that I'm built for that work and I know that it has to happen somebody's got to do it, and I don't want the world to be the people to do it. I hope that answered the question.
1: <laughs> that definitely answered the um
2: that definitely answered the question. Uh you we're talking about the world and everything going on, so let's just get like into it. After George Floyd was murdered this summer, race became a like a very centered topic more than it has ever been. Um and I feel like the videos of George Floyd being murdered circulated more than any other video of a black man being murdered by by the by the police and so I think there was that re like people were re-traumatized by like the video circulating over and over and over again but I think it called I, I Race just became a thing that like, every, everybody wanted to talk about. Everybody wanted to like, understand, is this okay for me to do? Is that, is that not okay for me to do? Um, I would love for you to talk about how that impacted you and if it changed the
1: way that you approached the world or you saw yourself.
0: Eight minutes and 46 seconds. This man... Laid there on the ground with the weight of a full grown man on his neck. He begged for his mom. He pissed himself. He cried out in pain. He cried for his mom. He cried for his mom. He cried for his mom for eight minutes and 46 seconds over and over. And over again, people watched this man's life get snuffed out. And I watched it. I watched that video one time. And one time is all that I had the strength to watch it. And I watched it only because I felt I owed it to him. I felt that I owed it to him. To see and 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 feel that pain with him, so that he did not go
1: out alone and I just
0: it was just it was one of those moments that just like no matter how far we come it just reminds you that your place is beneath their fucking knee
1: and it was one of those things where you know it's it's just not oh god wow. um
0: I'm I'm glad that it sparked a desire to have those conversations. I'm glad that, you know, till this day, you know, fires are still burning. I'm glad that till this day people are in spite of this pandemic not letting his name be forgotten. Um I am so
1: heartbroken that for it,
0: it, that eight minutes and forty six seconds of watching a man's life be taken on camera is what it took for people to realize that this this is still a thing. we're being lynched in these streets like it's two thousand fucking twenty, and we're still being lynched, you know. We're we're, we're seeing that little black boys and black men, you know, are being hung from fucking trees in different cities across this nation. And, you know, they're being ruled suicides by police departments before independent investigations and autopsies are even done. And, like, you know, how how dumb do you you have to – how little do you have to think of us to believe that we know – we know what that image is and that's how we are going to devalue ourselves and take our own lives like you think that that's how that little of us that you're going to convince us that that that's what we're doing it's just
1: it broke my heart it
0: It didn't change the way that I view myself personally. Um, didn't change the way that I. Oh, it. It definitely opened my eyes that, you know, in some ways I'm. I'm blessed, and in some ways I'm privileged. And I recognize that privilege, and I recognize those blessings um
1: and it's definitely reinforced the idea that we have a lot of work to do
0: um, I now more than ever is the time for us to you know keep our foots on their throats and keep our foots on our feet on their neck um we will not shut up about this. We will not stop, you know, protesting. We will not stop expressing our pain however the fuck we see fit. And I've had conversation after conversation after conversation with white people and black people alike who, you know, forget that they're black. And it's just... You know, well, why are people out there in the streets burning down businesses in their communities and blah, blah, blah? I'm like, well, why the fuck can't you? Why, Why? For me, why do you feel more bad for the business than you do the reason that people are out there doing this to begin with? Why do you feel that you can tell people who, all they know is oppression and all they know is below the heel to express their pain. Why is that what it is that you're doing rather than being fucking outraged with them? You know, because, you know, that's, that's a question that I ask of all these, these all lives matter people. Because yes, we know that all lives matter. We, we know that they should at the very least. We know that. But if that's really true for you, then why are you not as mad as I am that for eight minutes and 46 seconds we watched this man get his life taken from by the people who are meant to protect and serve him? Why can you look me in my eyes and say, well, all lives matter, but you're comparing the value of my life To a brick and mortar building that can be fucking replaced. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Why is it that you're comparing my life to, you know, a Birkin bag? I do not give a fuck that people are out here breaking into stores on Fifth Avenue and taking whatever the fuck they can get their hands on. Do what you got to do. Express your pain how you got to express your pain. I will never tell someone, you know, how they should feel or how they should express themselves. Like, it's
1: just, this
0: time has just shown me, or not really shown me, but more reminded me how little the system values me and values people who look like me and values my children's lives and it just kind of reignited a fire underneath me to to do more to reach out to that kid that seems unreachable unreachable to call that one parent 17 times to get them to answer the phone because i need their kid to get online for class you know to to pop up at that one kid's house and tell them get online now and do what you have to do Now, more than ever, my work is important. And in a nutshell, that's what George Floyd's murder has done for me.
1: And eight minutes and 46 seconds. So, all I got. Oh, God. Thank you for being um,
2: vulnerable and engaging in that uh, piece of the conversation. Because I know that while that happened in May, that's still like justice hasn't been served. That's still a very raw wound for Black men and Black mothers and Black sisters and Black daughters in this country.
0: And I think that's what makes it worse for me, you know, is that, like, we watched him murder this man. We watched him do it with a a, a, a smug mm-hmm. look, like he, like he had stepped on shit, and he was mad that that turd had the nerve to get in his way. And, like, he's out on bail living his best life right now. You know, like, imagine the privilege to have bailed, set out a million dollars and, yeah. and 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 not only that but like your family didn't even have to do it you know people who look like you crowdsourced yeah to raise a million dollars to get you out because they share those same values yeah 73 million people in this country voted against my
1: best interest
0: it's 2020 might as well be
1: 1912 yeah yep yep, yep. <sighs> very
3: God. well said thank you for being vulnerable i know that that wasn't easy not because you can't be vulnerable but because this is very heavy um and I agree on all those points. I mean, I've had a number of conversations with people around everything you just said. They're more concerned about diluting um, and all these things. And it's infuriating. I, I mean, it's infuriating for me, right? But I can imagine how it feels as a black man defending yourself because you see yourself in that. Um, and, and you're a 100% right on like, these all lives matter people like they should be infuriated but racism is so ingrained in the history of this country and in people and people deny that because they see the word racism as like horrible and terrible but not realizing that that word it carries a lot of weight but racism is seen in so many different ways and it's the little microaggressions that add up over time that can can be changed if people were just they would just listen if they would just shut the fuck up and listen
0: and, and this that's is c- one of those moments where it's okay to shut the fuck up and say, I hear you,
1: yeah, yeah, but it's this
3: um I think it has a lot to do with like no, I'm not a racist. They're racist. I would never do something like that, but realizing that that the man who killed George Floyd was taught to hate black people. Someone taught him that. America taught him that. And it didn't start by saying you need to murder black people. It started with little things like they don't matter. You're better. I talk about this in other episodes about you're on the top of the ladder and black people are on the bottom of the ladder. and You have to keep it that way. If they ever step to you and try to get to the top, you have to keep them down. This, these microaggressions, these little things added up to this hatred. That is basically what killed George Floyd.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It doesn't start with just, you know, like that's, hate is taught. And so it's so important right now to have these conversations with people that are quote unquote close to you or care about you. That can be debatable for me nowadays, but the people who are willing to like sit in a room with you and like debate you in a way where they're, they're kind of leaving their ego at the door, but it's still there. And you, 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 know, you mean something to them that they're going to listen. It's so important for those folks to listen so that they can change. Cause we can't change without having these conversations
1: and making change but i just hope that it i just hope that it happens where
3: you're not the one having to do the fucking workish like you i don't want you having to sit there and have these conversations over and over and over again like you say you do like i have a lot of privilege i have i've been oppressed in my own ways but i fight that fight because i do believe that your life matters. I do believe that racism exists and I will fight to the end of it with people who don't believe that for you, for George Floyd, for people that don't, that the world sees as less than because of the color of their skin. And I hope that other people join me in that. And that's why this episode's so important yeah. to hearing your perspective, but also to show that we all have privileges in some way and being able to use that, as leverage to have these fucking awful conversations but that need to happen
2: there were a lot of
3: people that
2: were very outraged this summer their privilege was just oozing out of them they were like i can't believe that this happened i'm so in shocked and it's like yeah like th- this this is documented but this has been happening for a long time um but there were a lot of people who were outraged and they um they were engaged when it was trendy to do so and then outside open and you could go to brunch and companies stopped talking about the new chief diversity officer that they were going to hire and then they weren't donating their time weren't donating their money they weren't like uplifting the voices of like black of black people they weren't doing that anymore and this is this is the time to remind yourself if you if you stop stepping up that you need to do that and I want to quote Sonia Renee Taylor who said this so beautifully and I will probably uh, I I don't remember word for word but Sonia Renee Taylor said outrage without action is privilege trying to comfort itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I hope that for people listening to this episode, um, and this is not just for white people, this is also like for Latinx people, like you gotta step up, Mm -hmm. You, you, you gotta step up. Like black people have held it down for, and you see the election, the way that black people voted and gave Biden the presidency and gave us some sort of hope to get this big Cheeto out of the office. We can't always, we can't, like, we got to step up. We got to do our part.
0: And it's funny. And and that's why, like, you know, it's kind of off topic, but on topic. Like, when Eva Longoria, you know, had the gall to say, you know, know, yeah, we see what Black women did, but Latinas, we were the real heroines in this. And I was like, (laughs) wait a minute, you know. I, I I I I recall that it was Latinx folk who gave Trump states like Florida and or am I wrong? I I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just like I I don't know. You know, it's exhausting, and I know that it's work that has to be done. And I know that it's conversations that have to happen and until things get better, um, I don't have the privilege of being tired.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, You know, I don't have the privilege of, I'm going to sit this one out. Um, I don't have the privilege of, you know, um, not being uncomfortable Yeah, and, you know, I'm the kind of person that I would respect you more if you were just honest with me, yeah. because I I know that you know the the few privileges that I have, the few comforts that I have, I don't want to give them up. I don't I don't want to not be comfortable, and being privileged is to be comfortable. Yep. So to acknowledge the fact that there is this disparity that's to acknowledge your privilege and that's to acknowledge your comfort and that's to and and to try to make meaningful change in spite of your comfort like that's gonna require that you give some of that up and I would much rather people say ah I love you but I don't want to do that yeah than to, than to just you know, bullshit me. Um, Because I can, I I can work with those people. I know Mm -hmm. how to move, you know, I know how to operate around them. You know, if you're, and it's funny, we jokingly, you know, earlier in the episode, we jokingly spoke about Biden and his run of the mill racism versus Mm -hmm. this overt ballsy Trump racism. Like that's, that's that's what i'm talking about like Mm -hmm. that comfort you know i
1: just it's exhausting
0: and you know we got to protect ourselves
1: yeah
2: yeah so how how do you take care of yourself and your mental health as a black man in america and i want to couple within that like what tips would you recommend for other black men in America to take care of themselves
0: and their um, mental health? Um, it's really funny. um, talking about things that we in the black community look down upon. Um, therapy. Mm. That shit is important. Um, black therapists are important. Um, queer therapists are important. Um, you know, being vulnerable. Um, having someone that you trust, having someone that you can talk to, um, whether you are putting up a facade for the rest of the world to see, having that person that you can share your load with, um, that's willing to carry some of that burden. It's important, you know, um, read a book, listen to music, um, go for a run, work out, play your PlayStation, play your Xbox, play your Switch, um, Smoke your weed, do whatever it is that you're going to do to, you know, help you deal with, you know, the trauma that we all undoubtedly, undoubtedly have. Um, And it's, it's okay to be selfish, you know, it's okay to say, "Eh, nope, I'm not doing that for you today. Um, Set boundaries you know, boundaries are important and that's something that we're not taught either. Um, You know, we're not taught to have boundaries because like, you know, I I think about, you know, our nucleus, our our households growing up and, you know, and thinking about like the Latinx, the black and brown community, how much we value family. Um, We value families to a fault. We value Mm -hmm. families so much so that we're willing to, you know, keep ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of everyone else and yeah. it's okay to say fuck that it's okay to do that it's okay to say no nah, that's not for me today you know it's okay to, to be comfortable you know do what you have to do um because the world's not it, it's never going to get easier um we get better at it um But we have to take that plunge in, into you know, um, to worrying about us, to worrying about me. Um, Sometimes it's okay to say I'm too tired to fight for everybody else. I'm just gonna fight for me today. Um, Eat the cheeseburger, you know, eat the donut. You know, you want to eat a pint of ice cream, go for it. If Mm -hmm. that's what you need to do in that moment, um, do it. Um, You're thinking about that person, call them, you know, say I love you or, you know, ask for the hug Mm. or ask to give the hug. You know, I've had moments during this pandemic where, you know, I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger, I'm an intimate person, so this has been really fucking hard for me where I'm just like you know what I'm gonna break the rule and I'm gonna hug you today mm-hmm. you know i it's important to recognize those things and take that time to to you know take that peace
1: yeah
0: you know and if there's one thing aside from everything that I just said um to take from this, give yourself some grace you Mm. know give yourself some grace forgive yourself for that mistake that you've made you know let go of that hate that you're harboring for that person you know take care of yourself because you know holding on to hate and holding on to these things it's it's like drinking poison and expecting the next person to die it's it's you you got to do things for yourself and and that's okay. And, you know, and if people that are in your circle don't understand that, then bye, you know, and, and that might be tough to do, particularly in the time where we're forced to be isolated, to let go of some of those things. But sometimes like that, like your last episode, cutting the cord, sometimes mm-hmm. cutting the cord is what you have to do. For your sanity, for your peace, you know, and cutting that cord is sometimes giving yourself the grace that you need and giving that person the grace that they need yep. and 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 most importantly is being okay with it mm-hmm. um so it's 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 a struggle every day because again, I consider myself an empath, um but it's a struggle every day to just say, "Nope, I'm doing this for me." um but i've gotten to a point where i'm okay with it and if there are people in my life that aren't okay with it then tough sorry um or not but this yeah. is what i need to do and my and i jokingly said at the opening of the show that you know our mental health is holding on by a thread and a lot of us are like this close to just losing it. And I I implore you, don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if you got to cry, if you got to scream into a pillow, you got to walk away from that that heated conversation. If you, you know, hold on to that thread, hold
1: on to who you are and, you know,
0: give yourself some grace. Be okay with that.
3: Very well said. Yeah. (laughs) I think we just need to end on that. Yeah. I'm like
2: nothing, nothing else can just like (sighs) top that. Um, I want to thank you ish for being so vulnerable and open to sharing your experiences. And also I love that you talked about tips that some that cost money, some that don't cost any money, some that, feel great when you do them some that might not like setting a boundary you gave people a wide variety of options that people can choose from but i felt the love coming in like your 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 um suggestions and your tips and i i hope and i i and i hope that they resonate with people they certainly resonated with me um and you are right like there is a lot going on um People are going through many different pandemics, um, and it's really important to take care of yourself first.
1: Definitely,
0: yes. You thank you so you can't much. Go from an empty vessel. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Anything else before we go?
0: Um, Just stuff. Thank you guys so much. I I know we were well over what we um, allotted for time initially, <laughs> but um i'm so glad that this is something that um that matters to you guys so much that you're willing to do that um i appreciate you guys for having those tough conversations and you know and and more so than that i'm i'm appreciative that you guys wanted to talk to me about it and that you guys value me um to to have on your show to talk about these things um and you know and it's it's and, and you know, in a weird way, it's, um, you know, thanks to Trish, you know, that, that this came from her, you know, um, this kind of just spoke to, you know, who she was as a person. And I'm so glad that you guys picked up that challenge and are you know doing everything that you're doing with this show and touching the lives and you know reaching across all aisles to you know to get perspective in her honor um that's really fucking dope and just you know in 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 a world full of shit you guys are providing um a gem and i'm just so blessed to have you guys in my lives and i love you both to pieces and you know all i got for you thank you thank, thank you. you so yes
3: much. i pre- we both appreciate that and it's i think it's even more special that you knew trish very well yes. um she loved you dearly i can say that
0: it was my girl patty
3: knowing that <laughs>
2: Don't um you, d- d- listen i got punched in the arm for calling her patty many times
0: <laughs> oh she did that to everyone <laughs> she bust my lip one time I called her <laughs> patty. she was like it's trish
3: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, Patty and uh, Trish and Ish spent a lot of time at uh Seven Water um on my couch, swimming my crocs
0: and playing video <laughs> games together on your small TV.
3: <laughs> I'd come home from class and there Ish is on like my recliner in my crocs using my TV <laughs> and I don't understand how he got in because nobody else is home but him <laughs> and he didn't even live there. Um so I'm so glad that you brought that up and Yes. It's, it's just so special that we can all just reconnect in that way. Cause I know that Trish would, you know, really be into this conversation and as an empath herself would have said all the things that we said, and she would have been at the, she would have been at the protests and just as enraged. So thank you Ish so much for taking the time, not only, um, just because it was a hard conversation, but you're, you're a dad in the middle of a pandemic with two kids. We're so glad that they made an appearance on the show. Um, and I hope I hope this this shit is over soon in regards to the pandemic and we can make it out there to to finally meet the kids and, and yeah. get together. Definitely. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you back, but we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks bud.